In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. From the Gospel. Then was Jesus led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. A few lengths ago, I was describing the Lenten fast to a non-believer who responded by saying, why would I want to give something up that makes me happy? It was actually a reasonable question and one that we should consider before we just start giving things up for Lent. Why are we doing this? There are actually two questions. One is, what is the biblical, theological, and formational reason for fasting? The other is, why am I actually doing this? The second question speaks to faulty motives for the season. We could touch on three of those. First, there is a faulty motive that goes something like this. Since God makes us give things up, he must like us to be miserable. Therefore, the more miserable we can be during Lent, the happier God will be with us. A second faulty motive is competition. Competition is seldom the main motive. It, It sneaks in the side door. We commit to the fast only to discover that someone else has undertaken a more rigorous observance. The competitive juices begin to flow. We decide to up our game a little bit to feel better about ourselves. A third error is probably more ubiquitous in some form. It is the subtle and pervasive idea that our spiritual disciplines are somehow meritorious. The more I do, the more I earn from God. Kind of like a Boy Scout earning merit badges in the pursuit of eagle status. The Bible rejects these faulty motives as the example of Jesus makes clear. The 40-day fast and the wilderness temptation take place immediately after Jesus' baptism, and the connection is important. Here is the sequence as described by St. Matthew. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, he saw the heavens opened and the spirit descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The fasting and temptation of Jesus are integrally related to his baptism, which exposes the false motives. If God just declared Jesus to be his beloved son with whom he is well pleased, Jesus clearly doesn't need to compete for the father's affection, doesn't need to store up merits, and there's no sense in the passage that the father will be happy if Jesus is somehow miserable. The connection of Jesus' baptism with this fast and temptation reflects the biblical pattern 
for God's chosen people throughout the Bible. In Genesis 2-7, God created Adam. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Then God tested Adam in the garden. God chose Israel and led the nation by the Holy Spirit through the Red Sea waters to freedom. <clears throat> and then he tested the nation in the wilderness. God anointed David as king. The oil poured on his head by Samuel was a sign of God's favor and God's spirit. Then God was tested as he fled from Saul, who was not ready to yield the kingship just yet. The biblical pattern is that God declares his favor upon a person, and then that person is tested. The test reveals the character of God's chosen. We often think of temptation as a lure to sin and wonder why God would do that. God doesn't lure us into sin. Rather, as St. James writes, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. God does allow us to face tests that reveal and strengthen our character. But he wants us to pass the tests, as James writes. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to, to those who love him. The pattern of creation and testing is, in fact, normal for all people who create things. If a company, for example, builds a plane, the first thing it wants to do is test it to see if it works. And the company wants the plane to pass the test. God creates and chooses people. Then he tests them to see if the people he has chosen will do what he asks them to do to see if they are his true children. And this pattern reveals a particular view of the human condition. It assumes that we were created by God and for God, and that everything we enjoy or suffer in this world is to be assessed by how it affects our relationship with God. In particular, the Bible teaches us that the presence of sin in the human heart causes our desires to become disordered or aimed in the wrong direction. Thus, our experience of redemption requires discipline to redirect our desires back towards God so that we can pass our tests following the example of Jesus. Now we can return to the original question. Why would I give up something that makes me happy? <clears throat> the question is rooted in a different perspective on the human condition, one that views us as consumers and not as God's children. 
one that assumes that we will be made happy by getting what we want right now. And this contrasts with the biblical assumption that we will be most truly happy if we do the will of God and please the one who made us and redeemed us. The consumer assumption pervades most marketing programs. We are offered products that promise to make us happy now. This perspective is not new. Genesis 3.6 relates the impact of the first false advertising campaign. It says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. The ad said that the fruit of the tree would bring wisdom and make them like God. In fact, it produced guilt, shame, fear, and separation from God. The wisdom that comes to us in Christ through the Holy Spirit reveals that there are two levels of desire. There is the surface level of desire that is rooted in our appetites, our desires for things, and our ambition. Saint John refers to these surface desires when he writes in 1 John 2.16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Then there is the deeper desire for God that God himself has planted within our hearts, a desire famously expressed by St. Augustine who wrote, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts grow restless till they find their rest in thee. Wisdom teaches us that our excessive attachments to temporal things, our surface desires, undermine our true and deeper happiness in God. Consequently, we practice the discipline of fasting from things that falsely promise to make us happy now in order to pursue our true and eternal happiness in Christ. The proper way to enjoy created things is to enjoy them sacramentally as signs of God's presence and as gifts from God for which we give thanks. But human nature turns created things into idols and pursues them as ends in and of themselves. Our culture is exhibit A that this idolatry does not make people happy. Consequently, we fast to cultivate the virtue of detachment. We separate from things in order to make room again in our hearts for God. We can state the principle this way. 
Every no is a yes, and every yes is a no. If I say yes to something, I say no to everything else I might do instead. And if I say no to something, I say yes to other things that are now made available to me by the no. Lent is a gift of no given to us by the church that makes it possible for us to experience in a greater way the greater yes of Easter. Thus, Lent is an invitation, an opportunity, and an exhortation. As our epistle says, we then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.